Well, good morning. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw this, but just in case you uh, missed it, this past Thursday morning, the Santa Cruz Sentinel newspaper had on their front page this amazing photograph of a kayaker just being dwarfed by a couple of humpback whales. And this is happening right off of Seabright Beach. And you know he's thinking, what have I gotten myself into here, right? In fact, somebody told me, and I didn't see this myself, but somebody told me that this photograph was shown on NBC Nightly News with Brian Williams and that they actually interviewed this kayaker on national television. Anybody see that? Uh, a few of you. Somebody told me that he is a classic Santa Cruz guy. I didn't see this, but he's like dreadlocks and feathers in his hair. And when Brian Williams was interviewing him live on NBC, he was just going, it was righteous, righteous. So yeah, that's just what we need is another national news event confirming people's opinion of Santa Cruz already, right? It's excellent. But uh, my wife, Lori, and I saw this picture in the paper that morning, and we thought, we want to go to there. And we had a couple of $20 Groupons, right, for a sale on the, the Chardonnay, so we said, let's go. So we did go on a three-hour tour, a three-hour tour, and we saw some amazing things. We saw so many whales, and when you're seeing them right next to these little human beings, you know, on kayaks, it really puts their size into proportion. You just feel this sense of awe because you get that sense of scale, right? But you know what I noticed? After two and a half hours of this, you start getting used to even this wonder. It's amazing what wonders we humans can get used to, right? Very, very quickly. After a couple of hours of this, people are just you know, past the chips, you know, oh yeah, there's another whale. You know, nobody's rushing over to the rails anymore. And then unexpectedly, a whale shot up out of the water right in front of us, mouth open, chasing some sardines up to the surface, and then the wonder came back again, right? I have to tell you, we were looking at all this, and then the sunset, and uh, we just started spontaneously singing that song to God called You're Beautiful by Phil Wickham. You know, God is so beautiful, so amazing. And we thought, it's, we're so blessed to live in a place like this where it's so easy to see the wonders and the majesty and the beauty of God. Well, here's why I mention all that. I hope the emotion that we felt that night and the emotion of awe that the kayaker must be feeling there and the emotion of awe that you will feel if you go out to the wharf this afternoon or go out to the cliffs by Seabright this afternoon, you walk out there. You're going to see whales breaching and spouting and so on. Don't, don't spend this beautiful day and not do that. If you can make it out there, make it out there and see this. But, but this emotion that we, that we feel when we see these wonders of nature, I hope something like that times a thousand is happening to you spiritually as we do this series on the attributes of God, specifically because you're starting to have this fresh sense of scale of God's great majesty compared to your littleness. In fact, you could say that the God is book that we wrote to go along with these sermons and these sermons and the small group lessons, these are really sort of the whale-watching expedition but you still need to keep your eyes open to God's majesty right next to tiny you. And the thing about God is, just when you start to get used to any thoughts about God, he explodes out of the water and gives you a new, fresh sense of wonder if you're out there in the kayak looking. So keep your eyes open even in the next few minutes today as we continue the God Is series. Uh, let's talk about how God is 
aware. God is aware. Grab the message notes that look like this from the middle of your bulletin so that you can follow along with this message. God is aware of everything. This is one of the best attested attributes in the Bible. So many verses on this. They're there in your notes. I'm going to put them on screen too. Look at these. God knows everything. That puts it pretty bluntly, doesn't it? Great is our Lord. His understanding has no limit. His eyes are on the ways of men. He sees their every step. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch. The Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. Quite mind-blowing, isn't it? Theologians put it this way. They have a $2 word for this. God is omniscient. Omniscient. That simply means God knows everything. There's no question he can't answer. He's never surprised, never shocked, never stumped. And uh, those same theologians typically group God's knowledge into three general categories. I, I love to think about theology, and so I love even to, to meditate on these categories of God's knowledge, and I hope this will blow you away too. First of all, God knows all about creation. Just think about what this means. Uh, the Bible says nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Now, that's an amazing statement. He sees everything. Every star, every planet, every rock, every tree, every flower, every blade of grass, every whale, every bird, every bug, every grain of sand, every atom, everything. The Bible says every time a sparrow falls to the ground, he knows. The Bible says he knows the exact number of hairs on your head. Now, some of you guys, that's not a miracle because you know the number and it's zero, Tim Beverly. But some of you, it's a miracle. He knows it all, right? He knows it all about creation. And then secondly, God knows all about the future, the past, present, and the future. Isaiah 46, he says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. He's not limited by space or time. He exists in the future as well as in the past, as well as in the present, in the same moment. Nothing is news to God. He knows it all. And third, God knows all about himself. And this is really the most mind-blowing aspect of God's knowledge that I can think of. In fact, you could look at it this way. God is the only being who truly knows all about himself. You don't know all about yourself. That's one of the reasons you have problems, because you don't know all about yourself. I'm constantly surprising myself. Things I thought I couldn't do that I can do, things I thought I'd never do that I end up doing, things I thought I can do that I can't do, I don't know myself very well. But God knows all about infinite God. So this is all very mind-blowing, but so what? So God knows everything. What does that really mean to me? Does it basically boil down to this far side comic? Yes, that's right. The answer is Wisconsin, another 50 points for God. And uh oh, looks like Norman, our current champion, hasn't even scored yet. You know, God is omniscient. So big deal. He has a lot of data. How does this change my life? Well, I want you to check out these verses from Psalm 139 there in your notes. We've already visited Psalm 139 once in this series, but I want to go back and look at the first six verses because these are all about God's omniscience. And it's not just about omniscience as a cold theological idea. 
Psalm 139 is all about what it means personally to David. And you can feel the emotion as David is just blown away by this here. Lord, you have examined me. And you know me. You know everything I do. Everything. Cross your legs, he knows. Fall asleep in church, he's going to know, right? And here's a mind-blowing one. What are you thinking of right now? What are you thinking of? Will the Niners win today? What are you thinking of right now? He knows from far away, you understand all my thoughts. And again, look at all these personal pronouns. You see me, whether I am working or resting, you know all my actions. Even before I speak, you already know what I will say. You are all around me on every side. You protect me with your power. Your knowledge of me is too deep. It is beyond my understanding. There's a little, almost a play on words, almost a, a rhyme of concepts there. He's saying, your understanding is beyond my understanding. Your knowledge is beyond my knowledge. He has this same emotion that we saw earlier in that kayaker encountering the whale. God's knowledge of me is so big compared to my knowledge. And David is just like, wow, righteous. You know, just blown away by this. Has to put on his pen and just, you know, be in awe because he puts God's infinite knowledge next to him and he's blown away by the personal implications of God's omniscience. God knows more about you than you know yourself. In what ways? Page two. Well, God sees, number one, all my sins. May as well start with the one that everybody, you know, kind of doesn't want to talk about, right? God knows all about my sins. A lot of verses in the Bible about this. Psalm 69.5 says, my sins, O God, are not hidden from you. You know how foolish I have been. <sighs> Does anybody else here find this just a little bit uncomfortable, right? Frankly, I feel like there's some stuff I'd rather God just not know. But I don't have any secrets, and neither do you. Look at Proverbs 5.21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. You always have an audience. Nothing you ever say is off the record. God never blinks. Everything you think, everything you see, everything you do, he sees it all. That means, for example, this week when you were on your diet and you got up from one of those midnight refrigerator raids and you opened the fridge and you thought, just one bite. That means... Late at night, you were online, and those pictures were just one click away. The devil has a line for us then. He says, nobody will ever know. And so we go ahead and do it, and then immediately afterwards, he hits us with another line, what if they find out? And you think, what if my parents find out about what I've been doing? What about my wife, my husband, the boss, the IRS? And we worry. But this is a very important aspect of God's nature to know because somebody already knows. God knows. You've already been found out, and he's the one who counts. Now, having emphasized that, let me go back and say this isn't as bad as it may seem at first. 
Because think about it. This means God is not shocked by my sin. He already knows about it. In fact, he saw it coming before I was even tempted. And so when you confess to him the things that you've done wrong, he's never shocked like a human being might be. He doesn't say, what? You did what? That's incredible. It's outrageous. Somebody lied. It's unexpected. No, he already knows all I've done wrong and all I ever will do wrong, and yet he still loves me and he still loves you. So my response to God's omniscience is this. I can be honest with God. Just be honest with God. He just wants you to stop the cover-up because he wants to liberate you from the guilt you're carrying and set you on a new course. See, usually when we do something wrong, what do we do? We try to hide our sins. We try to sneak them past God, put them in a dark room, lock the door. But God already knows what's behind that locked door. So just come clean because he already knows anyway. Now, here's the best part. By the strangest of miracles, God's knowledge of what it's like to be you isn't distant. It isn't just because he knows the data, right? He doesn't just have a Xerox of your thoughts and experiences. By the strangest of miracles, his knowledge of what it's like to be you is firsthand because Christians believe that that same amazing God who created the universe is also infinite in love. And so he came and was incarnate as a human on this earth. This is what the Bible teaches. And look at what are the implications of this. Hebrews 4.15. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he didn't sin. Do you get that this means you get more than forgiveness from God, which is good because you need more than forgiveness to really conquer your weaknesses. You get more than forgiveness, you get someone who sympathizes with you, who not only knows but understands, who not only knows but empathizes with what it's like to be you. Therefore, next verse, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. He's saying, don't be afraid of the fact that God knows your sin because he sympathizes. He came to earth as Jesus and he empathizes and he saves you. That's really good news. That's love right there. But then number two, it gets even better than that. God's omniscience means not just that God sees my sin. It means God sees my stresses, my stresses. Just take a moment right now and think, what are you stressed about right now? What have you been stressing about this week? Look at how Jesus Christ ties God's omniscience into your stresses. Matthew 6, do not worry, saying, what will we, we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. In other words, Jesus Christ is saying that worry is a result. Listen, worry is a result of not realizing the omniscience of God. And so I think I need to play God. We often try to play God, and this is especially true in the area of omniscience. Follow me here. We forget that God knows everything. And so we feel like we've got to know everything to really handle life. 
And the really scary thing is it's starting to feel like that kind of knowledge is within our grasp. Think about this. In the last decade, the amount of knowledge that you can have has increased exponentially, right? Compared to somebody living 50 years ago, you basically can have godlike knowledge right now. You can have instant knowledge of all the wars and beatings and riots and hurricanes and attacks and revolutions and crimes within minutes of when they happen anywhere on the globe with video so you can watch it as well. Almost godlike knowledge. And for some of you, it's become an addiction. It's not enough to access them on the 24-hour cable news channels or on Google News. Now, a lot of you have your phone alerting you every time something terrible happens anywhere on the globe. Bzz, excuse me. Bzz, bzz. It's like a morbid butler tapping you on the shoulder, you know? Excuse me, sir. There's some more bummer news. More bummer news. More bummer news. More bummer. You don't want to miss this bummer news. And you can get addicted. You know, we warn about getting addicted to power wanting godlike power. Everybody knows that that's bad. Everybody knows down that path lies madness, getting addicted to power. But you can also get addicted to wanting godlike knowledge. You know, Philippians 4, 8, I'm not going to put it on the screen, but you know the verse? It says, whatever's true, whatever is noble, Whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. But we often shorten that verse by several words so that we practice our lives as if that verse says, whatever, think about such things. <laughs> whatever, whatever, think about such things. But that's not what the Bible says, and that's not what you're wired to experience. You know, your iPhone can handle that kind of news alert load, but you can't handle it emotionally. And so you got to release yourself from an addiction to wanting, you know, omniscience and realize, listen, God already knows this. Your heavenly Father knows. This is so important for Jesus Christ to communicate that he says it twice in one chapter. Earlier, speaking of prayer in Matthew 6, verse 8, he says, your Father knows what you need before you ask. Rick Warren has a, has a great quote about this. He says, stress is created when you forget what God knows and what God does and what God has promised to do in your life. You know, if you realize that your heavenly Father already knows, your stress is going to be released. Now, we often forget this, and we think our prayers have got to be about informing God, you know, about what's going on here on this uh, planet. Uh, that's a childlike uh, aspect of prayer, but we, we've got to get past this. I've got a book called Children's Letters to God. It's one of my favorite little books in my office. And it's funny how many times the kids use their letters to God to inform God about stuff that he might not already know. Like this one from Mickey. Dear God, if you look in church on Sunday, I will show you my new shoes, right? <clears throat> or this one from Bruce. Dear God, please send me a puppy. I never asked for anything before. You could look it up like God needs to look something up. Or this one, look how he fills God in on what's going on in his life. Do you ever pray like uh, this guy? Dear God, my name is Simon. That's from the Bible. I am eight and a half. We live across the street from the park. I have a dog named Buster. I used to have a hamster, but he got out and ran away. I'm small for my age. My hobbies are swimming, bowling, my chemistry set, reading, coin collecting, and tropical fish. Right now I have three kinds. Well, I guess I said a mouthful. Goodbye, always a friend, Simon. You know, I love that. But we tend to pray like that, right? God, here's the Renee report. Do -do 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 -do. But prayer is never giving God information. Your Father knows, 
what you need before you ask. You say, well, then what's the use of praying then? Well, there's so many benefits, really proven medical health benefits to prayer. It relaxes you. It releases stress. You're rolling stress off your shoulders and onto God's. But beyond those pragmatic benefits, it's the foundation of a relationship with God. And that's why God does anything, because he is infinitely loving and he wants that relationship with you. Now, before we leave this point, I want to show how there's another way that God's omniscience can relieve stress from you. Do you remember in Psalm 139, verse 16, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, uh, David says, you saw me before I was born. The days allotted to me had all been recorded in your book before any of them ever began. This is really, if you look at kind of the history of religion, it's a very ad super advanced concept for David to be uh, teaching and for, to be inspired to teach by the Holy Spirit here in Psalm 139 because in those days, uh, all the other religions surrounding David 3,000 years ago all believed that their gods were basically superpowered human beings, but they lived in time and space. David is saying God exists outside of time and space. He sees the past, the present, and the future all as one. He sees my tomorrow today. How is this even possible? Uh, this little metaphor helps me. Ever see the shots of the Goodyear blimp above the Rose Parade? It sees the beginning, the middle, at the end at the same time. Well, somehow God exists outside of the timeline that you and I are stuck in. You and I are on one curb in the parade watching each float as it comes by. But God exists out, not only outside uh, of creation like an artist looking at his masterpiece, but even outside of time and space because he even created time and space. Now he comes into it and he exists everywhere within it, but he is not trapped inside of his own creation. And that means that the crisis that you'll experience this week, the surprise you'll go through next month, next year, the inevitable crises that catch you by surprise, it may surprise you, but they're never going to surprise God because nothing ever catches him by surprise. In fact, he's been there all along preparing, and he knows exactly what you should do in that moment. And so my response to this is don't panic, pray. Pray. Again, this is a very practical application for prayer. I suggest that this week, every morning you try this, and I've actually been doing this this week. Pray something like this. Father, you have seen this day that I am about to experience. And you know ahead of time every, every interruption I'm going to face, every cranky person in the office, every flat tire, every traffic jam, every missed you know, flight when I'm going to spill the coffee on my shirt, whatever bad news I'm going to get. You've already seen it. So would you now give me the strength to cope with this day? Lord, you know what's going to happen. Give me the strength and the wisdom that you know I am going to need this day. And then when something goes sideways on you that day, remember, God already saw it, and you've already asked him for wisdom and for strength to cope with that unexpected stress. You ask him in advance. Don't panic. Pray. This really has helped me even this week. And then number three, God not only knows all my sins and my stresses, but he knows all about my service. My service. The Bible actually talks a lot about this, even though we tend to forget this. In the God Is book, I tell a story, a story about how when we were newly married, I tried so hard 
hard to get my wife Lori to pay attention to my sports highlight moments, which were very scarce because I am by nature one of the most uncoordinated human beings on the planet. But when we were newly married, I was a youth pastor down in San Diego. And part of my job was to coach and to play on two different softball teams that were part of our youth group. Me, I'd never played softball competitively in my life, but I wanted to impress my new wife so badly because she comes from a family of a lot of athleticism and in college she won tennis tournaments and stuff and so I thought I, I, gotta, I gotta fit into that family. Your dad is a scuba diver, you know, one of these types of families. And so I went to batting cages every morning. I worked on fielding every afternoon with the kids from the youth group after school. At, at some point one of the kids goes, shouldn't we be like studying the Bible, Pastor Renee? No, throw me the ball, you know. I was just focused. So Lori comes to our first game and I immediately struck out in slow-pitch softball, which is almost impossible to do if you try. Now, the kind of good news is my next time at bat, I smashed one. It was a home run, and I look over to my wife, and she's like this, talking with some friends. She never saw it, and this becomes the pattern. I'd snag a hard-hit ball, whap, and I'd look over, and she'd be at the snack bar like this. I'd, a ball would come to me, and I'd bobble it like a drunk juggler, you know, and she'd be talking with some friends. And uh, it was just a pattern, one after another. After a while, she didn't come to any of my games anymore. It was just too painful for her, right? But that was just when I was getting good. And so I'd come home, and I'd say, honey, you should have seen it. I won the game. I hit a ball so far over their heads. It was over the fence. And she'd look at me and just go, hmm. And I'm sure she was thinking, it's so pathetic how he thinks he has to lie to me to impress me, you know? <laughs> she never saw one of my sports highlights. But I have a question for you. Have you ever been in a relationship like that with somebody in your life? Maybe with a boss at a job you had? Every time you bumbled, your boss was right there seeing it, thinking you were an idiot. And every time a customer praised you or you went the extra mile, it was your boss's day off and he never saw it. Somehow, in a relationship, maybe with a family member, uh, I've got family members we get together with once every five years at Thanksgiving, and for some reason, every single time I get together with them, I put my foot in my mouth and say something idiotic, and I'm sure they just think I'm the biggest moron in the world, but somehow they're always there to see my mess-ups, and they're never there to, to see me shine. Do you, do you have a relationship like this? Sometimes we think of God that way. We think, great, God's omniscient. That means he sees my every mess up. But one of the things omniscience means is that every time I do the right thing, God is watching. One of the things omniscience means is that God, listen, he never misses a highlight. God is never looking the other way at the snack bar when you hit the home run. This is very important for God to communicate both in the Old and the New Testament. Jesus said, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You know, we always think, wow, every time I do the wrong thing, God is watching. Well, Jesus wants you to know, every time I do the right thing, God is watching. And not only watching, but every single good deed will be rewarded. I'm convinced in heaven you will be rewarded for good deeds, dozens of them, that you have long forgotten. Because Jesus says, for example, every time you give someone thirsty a drink. Do you remember every time you gave somebody thirsty a drink? I don't remember every time. Jesus says, you're going to be rewarded for every time. 
And that, that's just one example. That means every time you visit somebody in a rest home. Do you remember every time you visited somebody in a rest home? I don't. God remembers, and you're going to be rewarded. Every time you sacrifice to help someone, every time you smile at somebody who's in a new place and feels awkward, every time you help out in the smallest ways, he sees it and records it and promises to reward it. Every time. Wow. So my response is, don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. Some of you are going, I try to do the right thing, but is it really making a difference? I try to, to be a good neighbor and to shine the light of Christ, but I'm not sure if anybody's noticing. It's making a difference. I'm getting so discouraged. I try to do the right thing at work. Try to be somebody of value, you know. I try to be a good parent. I try to help out my parents. But does anybody see? Am I kind of getting credit for this? Or is it making any difference? Well, Jesus promises God sees it. And God will reward it. So this is all great news. And finally, God sees my scars. My scars, my wounds, my hurts. You know, often when we're hurting, we feel very isolated, very lonely. And maybe that's where you're feeling right now. Maybe there's been a recent death in the family or a divorce or you've been let go. And you feel all alone, and you think, nobody understands the way I feel. Nobody can tell the way I'm feeling right now. Nobody feels the pain. But omniscience also means that God is aware of your pain. Look at this fascinating verse in Psalm chapter 56, verse 8. You keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. What's this all about? In ancient Mideastern culture, when, say, a soldier would go off to war, his wife or mother would take a tear vial. In the old days, it was a little wineskin or a glass or a ceramic bottle. And archaeologists have found many of these dating back thousands of years. They looked like this. These are actual ancient tear catchers. And typically, the woman would take one of these and say to her beloved son or husband, your absence will make me so sad. I'll cry every night and I'll collect my tears in this bottle. And when you come back, you will see my precious tears and you will know how much you were missed, how much you were loved. Now, what a beautiful picture because this verse says God collects every one of your tears. This is a poetic way for David to express that there is no hurt that goes unnoticed by God. He sees it all. So what should I do? My response is to let him heal me. I stop nursing my hurts. I stop picking at my own scabs. I stop bottling up my own tears, and I pour them out to him. I give them to God. 1 Peter 4, 7 says, Leave all your worries with him because he cares for you. He cares. He cares. See, God is always all of his attributes. Last week we talked about how God is love. So God's omniscience is a loving omniscience every moment. In other words, look at this. God is omniscient, but he's not just some giant brain ruling the galaxy like some powerful, all-logic alien thing. A lot of people think that. In doing this series, I came across a lot of definitions of God. Plato called God the eternal mind Einstein called God pure mathematical mind. Of course, Einstein called him that, right? We all create God in our own image, and so did Einstein. But God's omniscience doesn't mean God is a giant mind. 
He's a heart also, you know, metaphorically. You matter to him. He cares for you. Isn't that great news? Now, before we fill in the last blank, I want you to look back over your notes. In which of these four areas have you been living your life as if God is unaware? Which one? Maybe your sin, pretending he doesn't see, and so you've been indulging. Or maybe you've forgotten that he knows the second one, your stresses, and so you've been trying to think of all the things that stress you out. Late at night, you can't sleep, and you're going, i got to remember. Why do we do that late at night? I don't know. But before I go to sleep, i got to go through my list of all the things that are stressing me out. Exactly the wrong thing to do. you got to relax and go, God's got it. He knows it. I don't have to go through my list again. Or maybe you forgot that he knows your service, and you feel like no one knows how hard you work in your ministry or taking care of that person who's needy in your life, and you get discouraged. But God not only knows, he will reward or maybe you've forgotten that he knows all your scars. And so you're in the self-pity trap. Nobody knows but me. Nobody's having pity on me but me, and so I'm just going to work up some pity here. No, he knows the wounds. He collects your tears. He knows. See, here's the big idea this week. Whatever you're going through, someone knows and someone cares. God's omniscience not only means God knows it means God cares. And so I suggest saying this to yourself, this phrase, throughout this week. Whenever you go through stuff that's stressing you out, I'm going to go through stuff that stresses me out. You're going to go through stuff that stresses you out this week, today maybe. Say this to yourself. Maybe even kind of whisper it to yourself. Someone knows and someone cares. I matter to God. I started out showing you that whale picture, and we talked about how we can be just blown away like a kayaker next to a whale when we realize how awesome God is. But I was thinking about this when we were coming back in on the, on the boat. I was thinking how interesting it is that in the Bible, God not only uses images of greatness to try to help us comprehend his character, to comprehend who he is. He does use images of greatness. He talks about the Leviathan, you know, in the swimming in the ocean. He talks about the lightning. He talks about the stars. But he also uses images of intimacy, images of tenderness in Scripture to try to get us to understand who God is. And I thought of this, uh, and then I came back and checked my email, and somebody sent me this picture of a mother bird protecting her chicks under her wings. What's this remind you of? One time Jesus says of Jerusalem, How I have longed to gather you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. But you were not willing. God's omniscience means he not only knows in incredible ways, but he cares so much he wants to do this for you. He's not only awesome in vast knowledge, he's awesome in vast love. And right now you may feel as helpless in your life as one of those newborn birds, and you are all by yourself, but you're not by yourself. You can live under the wings of an omniscient, infinitely loving God if you are willing. Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me as we prepare our hearts for communion? 
with your heads bowed, you know, the omniscient God knew you were going to be here today, didn't he? And I think he brought you here for a purpose. And maybe this is your day to turn your life over to him. Some of you have been waiting for weeks, maybe for years. And I would suggest that even as communion is passed in the next couple of minutes, say, Lord, I am willing. Take me under your wings. You know all about me. You know everything, yet you still love me. And you came to forgive me of my sins and help me through all my scars and sorrows and stresses. So I want to receive into my life the sympathetic Savior who makes it possible for me to enter the throne room of God and find mercy and grace in my time of need. Jesus, thank you for your knowledge of us, for your knowledge of the world, for the fact that no atom in the world goes without you knowing about it. No event in the world goes without you knowing. And we want to take shelter under those wings now. In Jesus' name, amen.